0: Every summer, we go to family camp. If you don't know what family camp is, uh, it's not quite as like weird and culty as it might sound. It's actually a really, really beautiful place where we as a family go uh, to this summer camp space, and we experience the joys of like hanging out together, being on the pond, there's activities, uh, learning uh, together as a family how we can grow in the way of Jesus. It is such a blast. If you've ever gone to summer camp like as a high schooler, it's just like, I I think I've said this before, I I didn't know I'd get a chance to do this again because my camp years were so formative and now to do that as a family. One thing at family camp that they have is uh, this last year, they have the cardboard boat race. Anyone done a cardboard boat race? Yeah, oh my goodness, this is fun. Pro tip, find out leading up to the cardboard boat race, whose dad or mom is an engineer, architect, and then set up near them and then send your kids into their circle as spies and then come back. So I knew from the year previous that one of the things that we need to do is to create some kind of pontoon with the cardboard. And our idea was um, instead of, I was gonna send Rowan out. So quick context, you build a boat, you have limited cardboard, you build it, you have duct, a little limited duct tape, and a razor blade. You gather with your family unit and you try to make a boat and then you choose one of your children. And I guess an adult could do it, but no one's making boats like that. And then one of those children, they get an oar and they've got to head out to, uh, there's like 11 lifeguards or whatever lined up in the pond. So they got to go off the shore, do a circle around said lifeguard or counselor and then get back. And it's a race and there's big prizes and all this fun stuff. It's absolute blast. And you have limited time to make this boat. So we make this boat, which is basically like a, like a surfboard, like just, just straight, just like really just a box. We were like, we know we need to make a pontoon and row in. My five year old had never used an oar. So I was like, why doesn't you lay flat down, flat on your stomach? And why don't you paddle? Like you're like surfing and you're like paddling out. And she's like, I can do that. And she's like definitely our most like, kind of like physical, athletic child, clearly. Um, No offense, Harper, if you're out here, you're great. Um, So so she, uh, we're like ready to go. And uh, I, I just wanna show you a little bit of what happened. And I'm gonna cue you to cue the second video quickly, but you can cue the first one first. So, this is us getting ready. They said go, and there she goes. Right? She's doing all right. She's like competing with the girl with the oars, like having a hard time, and then she's down. All right, jump to the next video. She's already fallen once, and that's number two. They're already finishing. Here she goes. All right, we're doing all right. We're not in last place. And she's down again. Yeah, so you can kill it. This, (laughs) I made sure Rowan wasn't going to be in the service. She doesn't know it. Please don't bring this up to her when you see it. But I will say what she ended up winning, the award that she won... And you, I've said this before many, many times, I'm not a big like, part, don't give my kids participation trophies. It's just not how I roll. Sorry for all the like younger millennial parents in the room, I just think it's the worst. Like you get a trophy for when you win. So I did not want a trophy, but sure enough, sure enough, they gave her this award that I thought was totally appropriate. It was the resiliency award. I'm pretty sure they just made it up because I was the speaker that week and they're trying to be nice. But my goodness, I will say something about my kids, I'm sure many of yours who have them, for those of you who have them, there's something about this age that is fascinating. It's like they get fixated on something and they just go for it and they want it. Harper will see like a random um, coyote video or someone was talking to her about coyotes or she read a book recently on um, the outdoors, and she suddenly like, I want to become like a survival expert. She's asking for flint and steel and a pocket knife. And she's said like, Daddy, can I like go and look up a G- National Geographic website and research coyotes, because I want to be able to call to them when I'm out in the woods. Like both of them, like Rowan and more of the athletic department, like I'm just gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna get this. Harper just like chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. There is something, I don't know if it's their age or just how they are wired, but there is like a culture of pursuit. There's like a chase in them that is unbelievable. It is, is actually kind of inspiring for me to see them just go after it. Do you know people who just go after it? Whatever it is. And it could be like building a business. It could be... Uh, like the way that they pursue their marriage. Last night at the book uh, launch party for Sarah, um, which was just such a gift. I can't wait to recap, by the way, conference weekend was just incredible. As we ended our conference day on Saturday night and I was interviewing Sarah and her father about this book about family discipleship. And her father said this thing, like we just had resolve in our heart that, like our number one priority as parents, as I'm interviewing him about his daughter was like, to just be on, to put them like, right where they belong in the right order. It's like, I put my wife first and then it's my kids. We are resolved. That more than we cared about our work and our business and, the, and, the, and the, the things that God had laid on our heart outside the family, it was going to be family first. It was going to be our kids' discipleship first. You could just see it in his bones. There was this pursuit, this intentionality. I'm going after this. Anyone met somebody who doesn't have a culture of pursuit in their heart? Anyone like that might be me. That's okay but tends to not be a quality. People are like, that's awesome. Your apathy, so good. Your laziness, unmatched. By the way, you can have a culture of pursuit that leads you into rest. You deeply pursue, right? Like healthy rhythms. The people who are healthiest, who have a culture of pursuit in their heart are the ones who know how to stop and know how to rest. This, is I think a snapshot, this verse in Philippians, we see a snapshot of this culture of pursuit. Now, if you've been tracking with us, you may be wondering why are we in Philippians when we're supposed to be doing a series on First Peter and Daniel? Well, this series, the idea of like, I got nothing, this, this like kind of cheeky phrase that we hear tossed around in an age of unbelievable confusion. How do we think about being Jesus followers, people of love and mercy and justice in an age of fake news, in an age of like such disorientation around what we can trust and can't trust about what we can say and can't say about how we're supposed to um, like be a man and be a woman, how we are supposed to think about generosity and justice in this moment. And we as followers of Jesus, we don't want to get swept up into whatever the cultural tide happens to be. We want to root it in scripture. And so I have this conviction before we actually jump into Daniel and jump into first Peter and jump into some of these hot topics. I want to make sure that we pay attention to some basic principles, some foundational thoughts and ideas before we step in to exploring the life of Daniel. Last week it was scripture. The beginning of clarity has to start with a tethering to the Bible and to the word of God. This is meant to be where we glean our wisdom and vision for our life. And today I want to talk about something that we're going to see all over Daniel and all over First Peter, but specifically in Daniel, is in an age of confusion and clarity, we cannot be passive. We talk about this a lot, that... Um, discipleship are being formed, we have this propensity to think that we're in the driver's seat. And so often we're not. We are being shaped by the thousands of media messages that are coming at us daily. We are being, you are being shaped by that no matter how much you think you're not. I would just like to say that boldly and clearly. You may be like, no, I'm not being shaped by that. You're only not being shaped by that if you're not watching at all. It's the old line about like fish not knowing that they're in water. When one of the fish asks, like, how's the water? And the other fish is like, what's water? You're just in it. Messaging that comes to us, ways that we think, ways that our friends think that impact us, right? You are basically the byproduct of your five closest friends, or so sociologists say. So things that they're talking about begin to like move in us. We are being formed and part of the way of Jesus, discipleship, becoming apprentices of Jesus is recognizing where we're being formed and shaped by forces that we don't want to be formed and shaped by. We call this counter formation. It's not just start at zero, and say, all right, I am this neutral blank space. God, make me into you, like who you want me to be. Whenever I think of that song, even I wanna make room for you to do whatever you want to. I just, I first always go to like, what is the stuff that's in the room? I got some stuff in the room. I got some messages and some ways of thinking We were talking about this just the other day in one of our workshops. If we wanna grow in radical hospitality, it's gonna be really hard because everything in our culture says you guard your family, your nuclear space. And sure, you might open up a room for a season to help somebody out, but in general, the idea of living life in more deep and meaningful ways alongside other people is anathema to us. And we know this because just culturally, we look at other cultures and it's actually very normative. We have to pay attention to the ways we're being shaped. And so if we're gonna have clarity in an age of confusion, we have to want it, it. We have to want scriptures. We have to want God's leading. And that may sound so painfully obvious or like, yeah, I'm here for that. But if we don't get real, real sharp clarity in our bones, about what it means to pursue God and to actually make room for God to shape us, then like Daniel, for those of you who already know the story of Daniel, we will have a hard time as we sit in a culture that is basically pushing against the way of Jesus in so many different ways. We will have a hard time standing firm. We'll have a hard time breaking the fear of man in our bones. We'll have a hard time being able to say, yeah, I'm gonna walk boldly as a bit of a weirdo. I'm a bit of a weirdo in the way I love and how I make peace and how I do justice and how I think about what it is to be alive. So Paul, writing to this church in Philippi, understands that the value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. The value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. I think that's like a a Louis Giglio line or something like that. I can't remember where that line came from. But if you get nothing else out of my message today, I just want you to get that. Take a look at your life, do an evaluation and go, what are the things I'm after? What are the things I give my time and energy and focus and drive to, this is what I value. I wanna literally invite you to do some auditing in your life. Pay attention, pay attention. Where does our perspective on the worth of God need to change? This is my question for us. Paul is saying in this passage that everything has shifted. He starts out listing all the things that made him like a cultural king. This is how big a deal I was. This was my pedigree. These were the things that I was doing that I counted as a gain. And then Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus and Jesus does what Jesus seems to do where he gets in there and he starts messing around and he begins to reorder his life. Most of the terms used in this passage, we kind of miss this in the English, are literally banking terms. They're terms that have to do with loss and worth all around like a particular way of seeing an economy. He used his, like he used to value his education. He used to value his position. And then God came along and showed him all of its temporal, all of its fleeting. You ever have a moment with God where like all of a sudden you're like, I am caring about a whole lot of things I shouldn't be caring about. Or my favorite thing is, as I illustrated last, two weeks ago when I pulled out the little skull that sits on my my desk. It's like, I just have this moment of like, I'm not promised tomorrow, probably gonna die. Probably gonna die. So how's the day? Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom, right? These moments that disrupt us And we realize these things that I value, maybe I'm not supposed to value. Now, Paul uses, if you didn't pick up on this, or you got lost in some of the the, the larger biblical language, maybe you're not familiar with, but he uses very aggressive language. Everything changed for him. The fire in his soul, this fresh vision in his life. He goes, I used to value the wrong things. I used to build with the wrong things. I used to have these idols, these artifacts, these ways of thinking about my life and schedule. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13, you can build with all sorts of different things, basically. He says, build carefully. He's talking about his life. Build carefully. It says in James, what is your life? It's like an invitation to examination again and again and again. Build carefully. And so as we enter into a season together of wanting clarity on some of the big questions in our world, we need to have uh, a reordering of the economy of God. You following me? Say reorder. Like reorder. We need to reorder and keep reordering. This is an ongoing process. You never, ever get done doing this. You look at your season of life, you look at your margin, you look at your limits, you look at the place, the places uh, where you're seeing sin in your life and exhaustion in your life. And we continue to reorder with a fresh vision of Jesus. Verse eight, indeed I count, Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage or rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything lost because I get to know Jesus. Have you ever met somebody famous? You ever met somebody famous? I wanna tell all my like celebrity stories right now. There's not many. I just, I will say this, I have not washed my left cheek since I was 22 years old when Gwen Stefani gave me a kiss on the cheek. Real, true story. (laughs) I remember going to, um, I'm kidding, Corey, I washed my cheek. Um, I remember the first time I got to meet somebody who was a, a very big deal to me. I'll spare you their name. Uh, and I just remember internally, not just the, the nervousness. I'm not at like, I don't tend to like celebrity crush. I'm like a classic New Englander, like small poppy syndrome. I feel like whenever I get around somebody who's like a big deal, all I want to do is like, you're nothing. Like I play it like overly cool, um, almost to the point, like they're like, think I'm mad at them or something. And anyway, so I, I'm going into this space and this was like somebody I just had a lot of reverence for. and And again, we're just like, just really, really, really um, looked up to. And so it was interesting, like paying attention to my internal world as I got ready. What are the things I'm going to say? I'm going to have a chance to ask this person a question and interact with them. There was um, a deep, deep like uh, thought that went into even like what I was going to wear. Just so not like me just like thinking through this, like I'm going to get to spend time with this person. And I noticed all of these small little things, even in my like emotional space that were changing. I think about Paul saying what he's saying here, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ I don't know when this was written, how far after from his uh, first encounter with Jesus, but you see again and again in Paul's writings that he just has this holy reverence of, I get to meet with God today. I get to meet with God today. And the more I behold him and spend time with him and recognize the reverence I have to be able to go before him, to go to the synagogue and hear the Torah spoken for us like opening the scriptures. What a gift. Verse 19, therefore brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, full assurance. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The writer of Hebrews here is like reminding us of the beauty and like power of gathering together under the feet of Christ. We don't need a system We don't need to go based on performance. We can come with confidence. We can walk into the presence of God with full assurance. This is, everything has changed for Paul. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can walk into the Holy of Holies. Like you can actually, um, see the resources and intimacy available to you. This will change how you view your day, the idea that you can begin your day with the Lord. You'll be hearing stories after stories over the last couple weeks of what God just did in our church. We've had two weeks of prayer and fasting and worship gatherings, these humble little spaces where people have come together to worship and to listen. There are some faces in our church that I swear to you are shining and gleaming and not just because it's a little warm in here. It's been unbelievable to hear the stories of the way that God has spoken and confirmed things. Conference day yesterday, oh my goodness. Like Jesus just needs a round of applause. Like what a gift it is that we as a family got to turn our attention in such a focused way to what God wanted to do. And I'm seeing leaders, pastors, myself come forward and fall on their knees and allow God to break off sin that's happening in their life and wake them up to joy. And somebody the other day was saying, I just, I feel like I got a whole new calling on my life that God like deposited in. We can go and be with God. This, This, a radical pursuit, a culture of pursuit gives us this energy and eyes to see the God who is with us every day. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already arrived at my goal. He's like, I'm having this huge breakthrough guys and I'm living on a different plane. and with so much life of Jesus and so much pursuit in my heart, but please don't get it mixed mixed up. I'm not arrived, but I press on. Pursuit language, I take hold. Pursuit language, intentional language of Christ, the way that Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's like, I've seen the way that God's run after me and I'm running after him. We need fresh resolve to do this, brothers and sisters. He says, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ called me heavenward. I've mentioned this before. I read this biography years ago by Eric Liddell. This is like the Chariots of Fire guy. <laughs> Eric Liddell, uh, famous for he won the 400 meters in the Paris Olympics. Um, he was just a like, world-renowned athlete, front page of Time magazine. He dies in a World War II in World War II in a prison camp for missionaries. And this book basically walks through the second half of his life that doesn't get talked about a lot. And this was absolutely just insane. He was a crazy celebrity in his time. The Olympics had become this sort of scandal. A lot to say about that, but Eric Liddell kind of stood out as this person with great integrity. And they had moved a bunch of races to Sunday and he just said, I'm not gonna run on Sabbath. This is the day I devote and carve out to the Lord. I'm not gonna run. And people are trying to convince him and they're like, well, there's a time variance. You know, back home, it's not quite Sabbath and maybe we can get the race in at the right time. Like, he would not make concessions. This is a Daniel type of moment. Even though you may seem like, what's the big deal? He's like, well, this is the day I carve out to the Lord and the Lord's more important than even this Olympic race. Some of you are thinking like, that's a little much. It is. And that's what we're talking about. (laughs) So people are trying to convince him he needs to do this. Long story there, but basically as it comes back to the next round of the Olympics where he's about to really be at peak form. And he goes, I'm not going to run. And people are like, why aren't you going to run the next Olympics? He says, I have a different race I need to run. And for him, it was a call to China. Like, why are you going to like communist China? Why are you doing this? There's all these questions in the media. And he just goes, I have a different race. I, I, I want to help them see and know the love of God. He had had a vision of what he was to give his life to and there was a different race now while he is at peak performance, like just run one more year, get even more clout and then you can go. He's like, no, God told me I need to go now. He had a vision of the love of Jesus for others, a consuming vision. He was going to give his life. One thing seized his his whole vision in life. And that was the pursuit of Jesus. He's drawn out of self and into a whole new place. One thing, the one thing I press on and take hold of, and that's Christ Jesus because he's taken hold of me. A question for you. Do you have a grand ambition in the kingdom of God to go after? And how can you go after that? This does not have to be heroic in the, in the fleshly sense, but it will be heroic in the kingdom of God. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. No one could talk him out of his calling. And I wanna address the fact that any kind of story like that always feels a bit extreme and not for me. But I will say it blows my mind when I meet followers of Jesus, and I ask them about their health, and they're like, "Oh yeah, bro, I'm juicing, intermittent fasting, Crossfitting. Oh, how's your job going? Like, oh, amazing. I'm like killing it. Like, got it, getting an MBA on the side. And then you talk to them about your spiritual life and getting up a little early to read the Bible, or like, come and do a time of worship, or taking a course, or joining a home church. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a little busy. Can't do that." The room is already quiet, but it feels extra quiet. (laughs) I just want to be really clear here. This is the place where a pastor is supposed to say, but you know, no guilt or shame and condemnation in Christ Jesus. And there's not, there's not. And I want to say that. And there's just grace and you're figuring out the journey. But I want to say those of you who are followers of Jesus, if you're feeling a pang of guilt in your soul, that's good. Let's be honest. It's not, I didn't say the Bible says it. Go after it. And don't keep on sinning so grace will increase. Don't keep on being lazy and despondent with your spiritual life. Don't do it. That's not what the whole grace thing and you've been saved by grace is for. Don't do it. Can we have this sort of passion in our life and culture of pursuit in our heart that Paul has? We can pray, write this down. Lord, help us see your worth. Or reposition us to see your goodness and beauty. So, a couple quick things as I wrap practical ways to live this out. And welcome the band up. One, we need a fresh ordering of our life. Sarah talked about this yesterday at the conference. We talk about this regularly, our communal rule of life, the way that we roll together, some specific practices that mark out who we want to be as a family, reading your Bible before you touch your phone, taking a Sabbath, having regular rhythms of silence and solitude, having a clear sense of mission, a mission statement for your call and your vocation, being involved in the regular rhythms of family, these sorts of regular practices. You have to have an ordering of your life. What do you really love? I kind of led with this, but like, Do an audit this week. Do a weekly review. Why was I so fearful here? Why do I find it so hard to engage here? We get the deepest sense of peace. Hear this. When what we really value is reflected in our schedule. If you're after peace and a non-anxious life, that is the beginning of it. When what you truly value is reflected in your schedule. Be honest with it. It can be such a joy. It's not a guilt thing. God, what do you want to black out? What do you want to open up? I say this all the time. God can't transform who you're pretending to be. God can't transform or change your pretend desires. Be honest with him, with your spouse, with your friends, with your home church this week, as you gather together to eat. Just do a little evaluation. Is there a culture of pursuit in our life? Are we going after the things that matter most? Two, anyone ever read the book Essentialism? Again, I know I've mentioned this before. We need to have a vision of spiritual essentialism. Basically all the book is saying, like you were created for something and not everything. You were created for something, you were not created for everything. Slow down. Slow down. Create a to-don't list. It's not like paradoxical to say slow down as we're talking about having a culture of pursuit. What are you going after? Spiritual health and vibrancy and power with the Lord? He's gonna invite you to rest. He's not gonna invite you to rest like Netflix binge. He's gonna say, pause Netflix and be with me. Slow down. We need a holy ambition in our hearts. It's a phrase from John Tyson. I love that phrase, a holy ambition. What are our longings? Say, I want to be good at prayer. Does anyone want to be good at prayer? I just want to be, I want to, anyone want to hear the signal through the noise, like hear the Lord? Anybody? Want to hear God a bit more? Go after it. Go after it. Chase it down. Maybe that's the MBA on the side you need to be getting. (laughs) Go after it. I wanna be an evangelist. I want a black belt in mission. Go after it. I wanna be the most like encouraging person in the room. I want to be St. Fred Rogers. He was a pastor. He knew the way of Jesus. I wanna be patient like that go after it. It will not just happen. And even as a follower of Jesus, it won't just happen because you showed up at church this week. It won't just happen. Go after it. What is the ambition of our heart? If we are going to find clarity in an age of confusion, we have to be people of deep resolve and deep pursuit of the things that matter most, or we will get pulled off into the confusion and pulled off into every like wind and passing trend and ideology we have to be focused in we can say yes we value scripture and that's the beginning of clarity but do we want to like a do we want a black belt in reading scripture okay two more things this is like supposed to be quick and this is like the longest part three models (laughs) so few people really love god in our world and you need to find people who love god and walk with them Join a home church. Join Alpha. Come to that Wednesday thing if you're new. I'm leading it. It's gonna be great. Me and the Moroses, it's gonna be fire. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. What does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? Is there anyone you could be mentored by and you can seek out to mentor you? Maybe you don't have anybody. We have a bit of a deficit of gray hairs in our church. Something that I I, um, was invited to do by a a colleague of mine was to be mentored by history, by redemptive history. trying to read biographies and like watch videos of folks like great saints who've come before. I just got this little book of saints for my kids like men and women who had like power in the way of Jesus and reading their story. What does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? Allow that into your life. Mentors are excited within men's ministry this coming year to begin to develop meaningful relationships where we can at least begin to peer mentor each other and create spaces around this. And then lastly is community. Like I said before, you are the summation of your five closest friends. Go deep. Me and uh, Sarah and Corey and some others, we have like a tight little group, some friends that we've just been trying to be really meaningful uh, in our our walk together. And I think one of the things that we notice often is a deficit is by the time we can get everybody together, it's like we're just we're just so exhausted and we're just excited to be in the room and be in a safe place and it's rejuvenating in a rest way. But one of the things we're regularly convicted of is actually spending time with the Lord together. How do we do that more? Because that community will shape so deeply who you are. You need people who are gonna poke around in your soul. Do you have anybody who like can, you can say the hard stuff to? People who can challenge you? Again, don't give up meeting together, Hebrews says, some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You cannot habitize mediocrity. We need to be a community that seeks God. So I will say this, on the end of two weeks of First Seek, prayer and fasting, coming out of the conference, getting ready for the family retreat, home churches kicking in, Alpha, all this, the energy and stuff going on. It would be a tragedy if we wrap this season up in December, and we're like, it's just the same stuff. Same stuff, different month. And we haven't taken a step. I love the line, pray as you can, not as you can't. Do as you can, not as you can't. This isn't an invitation to everything. It's an invitation to something. Pray as you can. What's the next step? To cultivate a culture of pursuit in your heart that we may be people who stand on a firm foundation in an age of so much confusion and of shifting sands. We want to be a community that seeks God. Holy Spirit, as we come to the table, as we take time to listen to your voice and respond personally and collectively, would you show us that next right thing? It's the mark of a saint. It's the one who who has resolved to do the next right thing. Lord, we wanna be a place that pursues you, seeks you, who does not like keep on being despondent and apathetic so grace will increase, but recognize that we are loved right where we're at, that we are cared for right where we are at, that we are loved even when we jack it all up and make like the, the, the worst of mistakes that we can rest in that place and allow that to be the fuel and energy and resolve to actually move toward holiness, not sit back in our laziness to draw near to you versus just sitting back and asking you to keep drawing near. So I thank you Lord for the table for the bread and the cup, for the reminder that you have broken yourself open and poured yourself out for us, that we can meet with you right now at the communion table. We can meet with you right now in the altar. We can meet with you right now where we stand, that we can be open to your goodness and your joy and your love and your blessing and open to your refreshment, that it may fill us to overflow and may empower us for a week of walking in greater joy and greater peace because there is more for us. Lord, we wanna value you above else. So if that's true, the value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. Lord, we, 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 we know at least in our minds, we're to value you above all else. So help us run after you as you, Lord, run with us. Before we come to the table, I want to invite you to just a moment of silence, to be still and know that he is God, to be still and know the spirit still speaks. And just ask the Lord to speak to you. Gather up what the Lord's already said to you and take it into the secret place. Pray it back to him. And so we come. Over here to my right, there's a place to be prayed for as well as to my left. As you come down the center aisle and break into two, there's spaces down front to sit at the altar. If you wanna linger at the altar and worship here and pray here, be prayed for, you can also just come take communion and sit on the pew until the line clears out and then stay up front. We need to do some business with God as we sing. If any of you are sensing just a word from God that feels like it might be for the room, there's someone down front here. Uh, You can go and see Mike, share that with him. So let's respond together. Let's respond together. So if you're coming to the table, would you stand? Just it says, Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for us.